good morning. How are you doing today? Welcome to Saving Your Soul with Dolly. Um, I'm very excited about this. The Lord instructed me to change um, the title of my podcast because I've been studying the Word of God and um, studying about how to save your soul for so many years that I honestly thought that that's what everybody was doing when they read their Word. And one day the Lord pointed out to me that there's not any teaching out there really on this specifically. So um, I felt like that's what He wanted me to do. And it was going to tie in with all the other teachings that you hear. It's powerful. I mean, that's why I thought everybody was teaching on it. Um, But it's very powerful, and it'll help you get to the next level. It'll help you accomplish things. It'll help you figure out why something's not working. You know, if if you don't even know what battle you're in, it's real easy for the enemy to win (laughs) in, in battles that you're trying to take on. So... I wanted to start off today by looking in 1 Thessalonians 5.23. It says, The very God of peace sanctify you holy. Now that word holy is spelled W-H-O-L-L-Y. That means the whole you. The whole person that you are. And it says, And I pray God your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. So here the Bible has described you as a whole person. You're a spirit and a soul and a body. And I've heard the teaching, a lot of teaching on, you know, well, you're a, a spirit, you have a soul, and you live in a body. And that's amazing because that is accurate. But that's usually about the extent of it. And so I just wanted to, to, tie, to tie this teaching in with what you're already learning and doing because this may be the key that will help put you over. So um, we're going to look over in Genesis chapter 1. You know, I hear a lot of people say, oh, the Bible contradicts itself because in Genesis 1, it's talking about creation, but in Genesis 2, it's also talking about creation. And people say, well, it contradicts. It doesn't contradict itself. You probably just haven't gotten the revelation that you need. And so you have to pray and say, God, I don't understand this. Why is the Bible saying this? And then it's saying this. Reveal it to me. And he will gladly reveal it to you. Um, In Genesis 1, in verse 26, it says, God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness and let him have dominion. One of the greatest teachings I've heard in so long is Bill Winston. He was talking about how whenever God wanted to create the fish and the birds, he spoke to the water and he commanded the waters to bring forth. And then whenever he wanted to bring forth the animals, he spoke to the earth and he said, Earth, bring forth. But then right here in 26, it says when he wanted to make man, he spoke to himself. And what what you come out of determines what you are. You came out of God. You are so valuable. You are so special. And I believe a lot of people struggle with Christianity and with their being successful in their life in general is the fact that we have an identity crisis. We don't realize where we've come from, who we are, and how important we are. And that is, that is one of the basic things you have got to figure out. Because if the enemy can make you feel like you're just a sorry old sinner or you're just a worthless piece of trash or something like that, you're going to have a real hard time believing that God wants to prosper you or heal you or um, bless you in any way. And so seek the Lord and, and get a good... Um, Get a good self-image based on God's image in you. So there we see, though, God spoke. And when God spoke it, um, just like when you speak things, it happens in the unseen realm first. 
It happens in the spiritual realm. God spoke Adam, and Adam became a spiritual being at that moment. And so then over in chapter 2, the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground. So he takes the little spirit and he forms him a little body. And there he has his body. And then it goes on to say, And he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. So there we have man became just so similar to the Lord God that when God breathed into his nostrils, he became a living soul. He became a separate individual with a mind, a will, and emotions, intellect, and all these feelings and things that he has. He became a separate person, but created so closely in God's image that you can't even tell the difference between what is your soul and what is your spirit without the help of the Word of God. Over in Hebrews 12, the Bible tells us that um, you can divide asunder between the soul and the spirit, and it's a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. So the, the Word of God is really the only tool that you have to tell between what is your spirit and what is your soul. And so with that being said, they are so similar that a lot of people think they're the same thing. I hear people say things, and I, I'm, not, I'm not hurting on anybody. I'm just using this as an example. I hear people say all the time, we've got to save souls. And they're talking about going out and evangelizing and winning people to the Lord, getting people born again. When you get somebody born again, they become alive unto God. They become spiritually alive. We're saving their spirit. When we evangelize, when we lead somebody to the Lord and they say the sinner's prayer, they're saving their spirit. All of a sudden, they're spiritually becoming alive unto God. Now, a, a portion of their soul there got saved also. But, but your soul is a work in progress. I've heard people say many times that you're, you're saved, you're being saved, and you will be saved. So your spirit man, when at salvation, your spirit man is saved, born again, going to heaven, yay, one with God. Oh my goodness, we're going to talk about your spirit today and what all the benefits are there to being born again. And then you have a soul which you can start saving. The Bible instructs us many times, several times, New Testament, save your soul. Work out the salvation to the saving of your soul. Um, there is a soul to save and a process to do that. And then the, the body. In the end, your body is going to be quickened. You know, our mortality is putting on immortality. You know, we've been buried in baptism, so literally our flesh just needs to hang out and just be put under until it's changed and we get our glorified body. So you're a three-part being, and you are going to have to be saved in three different ways to be a whole person at salvation. Um, now, you are born again. If you've if you've called upon the name of the Lord, the Bible is very clear. You will be saved. You're going to go to heaven. You are a member of God's family. You are God's child. You are, you are holy. You are accepted. You are loved unconditionally. You are the apple of his eye. Oh, my goodness. You have the very presence of God living in you. He has sanctified you and made you holy and spotless and blameless. And sin is no longer being imputed to you. And you are marvelous. Oh, my goodness. All the Old Testament prophets, the angels themselves, everybody's desiring to look into this creation and see what is this? What is going on here? I want this. How can I have this? And here we are 
We sit here, the very elite, the very chosen, the very most precious thing that's ever been in existence on this planet that Jesus Christ purchased with his own life. And we're playing with this game like it's some kind of, oh, well, you know, I'm on my way to heaven. You know, that's, uh, why do I really need to go to church? I'm saved. Wow. Okay. There is so much more. And the Bible clearly tells us that the world is waiting for the manifestation of the sons of God. The world is groaning and travailing. The world is hurting. Look around. Turn on the news for five minutes. The world is in desperate, desperate need. And they're so full of pride and arrogance that they can actually stand somewhere and say, hey, the church is not even essential. Whoa. Okay, there's something very wrong with this picture. Very, very wrong with this picture. And so... You know, the Lord has instructed me to start teaching on this because if as you're born again child of God, you are an ambassador. You are supposed to be in charge, not only of your own life, but as adults, you should be in charge of your family. As a parent, you should be in charge of your children, of uh, of your life, of your world, of your business, of your occupation, of your calling, uh, of your city, of your state, of your country, of this world. As, as born-again children of God, you should be at the very top of your game. There is no way you can't win. As a child of God, you will absolutely come out on top. You will absolutely come out obtaining all the things that you're believing God for just for the mere fact that you're born again. You have got the power to literally possess and control your world. It is incredible. And yet we have so many people, ministers right now, stepping down. People that are not even going back to church. The churches are opening back up and people are not even going. You've got all these people that, um, you know, they've just decided, you know, it's not essential. they got something better to do on Sundays. Let me tell you something. There's coming the remnant. The church is rising up right now. And I'm telling you, you are not going to want to miss any of this. This is going to be the show. This is going to be it. And this is where you're going to want to be plugged in. And so I want to encourage you. Um, put God first and get your priorities back in order. Sit down with the Lord and spend some time and figure out what it is you're supposed to accomplish. And then let's get on a path to saving your soul, getting your mind, your will, your emotions, your intellect, your, all those things lined up with God where you can master your own life. And once you master your life, you'll be able to master your entire realm. And that is the will of God. That is what every born-again believer should be doing. And, um, you know, we can sit around and play church, and we can be religious, and we can just say all the holy spiritual things all we want to, but if there's not some fruit, if there's not, you know, the Bible tells us very clearly, follow those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. If there's not some evidence that you're doing something for the Lord, then you are deceived. You're deceived. And, um, I mean, that's just, that's just scripture. 
And, you know, all the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they had their little rules down, their little plans, their little gatherings, and they were all happy to do that. And they were the big shots, and they seemed superior to all their friends and neighbors. But, you know, Jesus had a serious problem with them, and I believe that he would have a serious problem with some of that mess going on today. Because he, he, he would tell them things like, you know, you go around the world just to save a convert and then make them twice the son of hell as you are. And that's some pretty heavy stuff coming from the Lord. And I'm not going to want to hear anything like that when I make my entrance in heaven. And I can't imagine anybody on the earth that would want to. But not because of the gloom and doom do I want to save my soul. It's for the victory. It's for the power. It's for, it's for the enabling of the church to become who God created us to be. And um, it starts within us. You know, nobody can do it for you. So nobody can do it for you. I don't care how many fabulous ministers are out there. They're not doing it for you. They can't. God won't allow them to. But the beautiful thing about that is, once you take responsibility for the salvation of your own soul, once you step up and do that, nobody can take it from you. Man, that's some power right there. Yeah, nobody can do it for you, but absolutely nobody can stop you either. You are literally an unstoppable force for the Lord. So I wanted to take some time here on this episode and just talk to you a little bit about what happened. How did, how did this fall affect mankind? Well, when you're looking over in Genesis, um, he tells Adam and Eve, don't eat of the tree of the garden because in the day that you eat thereof you're going to die something that stuck out to me was one of those questions where i had to go to the lord and say okay god i'm going to need you to explain this to me because here you tell them if you eat this fruit you're going to die and yet they ate the fruit and over in chapter 5 verse 5 it says and the days of adam lived were 930 years and he died and I'm, I'm telling you, that's, that's one of those things that caught my attention. Okay, so wait a minute. He ate the fruit, and he's going to die, but he lived 930 years. I'm like, okay, wow. We, we haven't even done anything like that, and we're not going to live that long. So, I mean, you know, according to statistics, you know, I mean, you may, because I'm believing that there's going to be a generation that, We'll live a long time, but we're going to have to get to the point where we're figuring out what, what's the deal here. If that, that doesn't make sense to me. So you get all these theologians saying, well, see, it won't hurt you. You can disobey God and do whatever you want to do. You're still going to live longer than anybody you know. And, and that is one of the most dangerous deceptions. Because what did happen to Adam? Well, the word death, we have to clarify that because, first of all, the word death does not mean that you cease to exist. The word death means that you're separated. You're going to be separated. He was telling Adam and Eve, hey, dude, if you eat that tree, you're going to be separated from me. You're going to, you're going to die. And so when they ate the fruit... It says over in chapter 3, verse 8 of Genesis, they heard the voice of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord amongst the trees. And the Lord God called unto Adam and said, Where are you? And he said, I heard your voice in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. 
And he said, who told you you were naked? And have you eaten of that tree that I commanded you that you shouldn't eat of? And he said, ah, the blaming game started. So what's going on here is God was separated from Adam. And so God said, hey, Adam, where are you at? And so Adam had a couple of responses here. He said, um, I heard your voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. Now, he heard the Lord, so he's not dead, okay? But he's not one with God at this point because God's having to look for him. So spiritually, he got separated. But in his soul, he was still had a mind, will, and emotions because he's still processing here. He heard things. He made decisions. He was afraid, so fear was active that he could analyze where his, what his situation was, and he made a plan, and he did something about it. So that is all the work of his soul. So here we have Adam still operating in his soul, and his body is naked, and he's ashamed. And so God had to make him some clothes and cover him up. So he's still got a body, and he's still got a soul. But he no longer is spiritually alive to God. That was the problem. Because he died spiritually, he was no longer in perfect unity with God. He couldn't have the thoughts of God. He couldn't hear one-on-one -on -one in that inner voice inside of him. He couldn't hear the voice of God talking to him, leading him, guiding him on a daily basis. He couldn't sit and meditate and, and, and minister with the Lord and, and have that, that koinonia. He couldn't have that anymore. And so what would start happening after this, because he already made bad choices, to run and hide from God? That's one of the stupidest things you could ever do. You know, people do that. They, they sin, they do something wrong, they fall, and the next thing you know, they're trying to avoid God, like the plague, man. They're not going to church. They can't hang around those Christians. They got to go over here and hide out. Okay, that's a dumb decision. When you blow it, that's the opportunity that you need to run to God. <clears throat> with, I mean, just as fast as you can get there. Because God is the only one that can heal you and restore you and get you back straight immediately. He's the only one that can have grace and explain to you why things are dangerous. He's, he's your only help. But people still to this day are running from God. So that's a decision in your soul. And so it took a long time for Adam's soul, because he had been one with God, it took a long time for his soul to start thinking different than he should have thought. He would have never thought, I was scared of God, when he was connected to God spiritually. He would have never been afraid, connected to God. So God said, oh, what'd you do, eat the fruit? You know, here's where you made your mistake. You wouldn't have had any of those things had he been spiritually connected to God. So all of a sudden, now in his soul, he's responding wrong. He's having thoughts and feelings and emotions, and he's, he's, he's changed from thinking on this high level with God to thinking like a fallen person. Now, after he had accepted those thoughts and started operating in those thoughts, and, and his children did the same thing, murder was committed. I mean, just generation after generation. It was getting so bad and so vile that you know what the Bible tells us over there where um, he's talking to Noah. He says, every thought of man's heart was only evil continually. Now, that ain't some of them. You know, some of these people are pretty bad. Some of these people are doing some wrong things. It says, every thought of man's heart was only evil continually. 
That is a fallen state of man. And so God had to build the boat and save some of the animals and start over. Because until a Savior was sent, they could not be spiritually connected back to God. Without being spiritually connected to God, you cannot save your soul. You cannot operate and have the thoughts of God. You cannot think on that level. He tells them, he says, you know, my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. My ways are higher than your ways. Now, as a born again child of God, connected to God, we have the mind of Christ. We literally can have the thoughts of God. We literally can have God's ways and we can literally walk in them. Once you're connected to God, you're empowered to be able to save your soul, to make your soul line up and start thinking like God thinks. And as you do that, you begin to save your soul. So you can be born again and still living in total defeat because you still are thinking wrong. The Bible tells us as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. So even though you're born again, you're on your way to heaven. God is not mad at you. He's not imputing your sin to you. He, has, he loves you unconditionally. You didn't do anything to earn it. You're not going to do anything to lose it. You're one with God. So that's wonderful. But if you don't then begin to save your soul, if you don't go forward and try to renew your mind to think like God thinks, then you're going to end up not getting any victory in your personal life or in this realm that you're assigned to rule and reign over. So, um, and then that, after that happened, you know, it took 930 years for Adam to become um, so defeated in his mind and so changed in the way that he thought that he physically died. It took, it took 930 years because he had been one with God, completely one with God, in sync with God, whole from the very beginning. It took 930 years for him to get so deceived and so manipulated that he would get to the point where he would physically die. And that's what happened. So whenever Jesus Christ came back and saved us, what he did was he paid for that sin that separated us from God. Immediately, the Bible says, the veil was rent. There's nothing else standing between you and God. Once you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you're connected to God. You're whole with God. You're one with God. And as you become one with God, and and from now on, you know, I, I was there. I was backslid for 11 years, and I was born again, and I know I was. And I prayed, and the only prayer I ever prayed was forgive me for my sins and repenting and all those things so that God would, you know, take me to heaven someday if I died. That was the only thing I ever prayed. That was the only thing I was ever taught to pray. And so for 11 years, I lived in total defeat, suicidal, on drugs, alcohol, everything. But I knew I was still saved. I still prayed. And when tragedy would strike, I would still ask God to help me. And hoping that, you know, maybe my good ate what outweighed my bad and maybe he's still going to get involved. And, you know, I, I would have all this stuff, but there was no assurance. There was no confidence. There was no hope. I just, you know, it was just at the mercy of the throw of the dice. Maybe God will, maybe God won't. And that's a hard way to live. That's a very hard way to live. And the enemy knows that. And he keeps people there perpetually and that's why life expectancy is as low as it is and so 
when you got born again, now all of a sudden you have 24-hour-a-day access to God. Right now, you're born again. You're one with God. He's, he's instantly there. He's your ever-present help in time of need. Let's look over um, whenever Jesus is talking to Nicodemus in John 3. Um, Nicodemus was a Pharisee. He was a ruler of the Jews. And he came to Jesus in the night and he said, Rabbi, we know you're a teacher that you've come from God because nobody can do these miracles except God's with him. And Jesus answered and said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. So once you're born again, you can see it. Nicodemus said, How can a man be born again when he's old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? And Jesus said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a man be born of water and a spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I said unto you, you must be born again, because the wind blows where it listeth, and you hear the sound thereof, but you can't tell where it comes from and where it's going. So is everyone that is born of the Spirit. And so Nicodemus, you know, says, how can these things be? And he says, aren't you a teacher? Aren't you a leader? And you don't even know these things that I'm talking about? You speak and you testify that you've seen and you receive our witness, and if, if I told you earthly things, you, you don't believe them, then how are you going to believe if I tell you heavenly things? And no man has ascended to heaven, but he that came down from heaven, even the Son of Man which is in heaven. And Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. That is the promise. That if you, if the Son of Man is lifted up, if we lift up the name of Jesus, people are going to hear it. People are going to come to the Lord, and they're going to receive eternal life. For God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten Son. So because of the love of the Father, he sent him. Now it says, God sent not his Son into this world to condemn the world, verse 17, but that the world through him might be saved. Okay, so right there, Jesus is teaching that you're going to have to get born again. And even maybe the teachers don't even know this, but, but it is something that happens. It's a spiritual reconnection to God. And as you are born again and you become one with God, you literally are empowered now to begin the journey of saving your soul. Being born again, I've heard illustrations where, you know, well, it's just like a brand new baby. A brand new baby's not worried about anything. They've passed. They don't even have a past. There's, there's, they're not burdened down with a bunch of stuff. They're just an innocent baby. That's what it's like when you get born again. You're just a baby. But the problem with that, that is a perfect analogy because it doesn't matter what you did before. Even after you're born again, even if you do things wrong in the past, I, I'm telling you, I can find scripture that says, you know, um, forget those things. <laughs> forget those things that are behind you. The blood of Jesus is cleansing you and, uh, from all unrighteousness. And in God's eyes, spiritually speaking, you are one with God. And you could not be one with God if sin was being imputed to you. If there was a sin that you could commit that would cause you to be unholy, then um, God could not dwell in you, and he would have to, you would die. 
You know, I mean, that's what happened in the Old Testament. He was saying, you know, we tell you these earthly things, you don't even believe them, but you want to understand spiritual things. But in the Old Testament, we have all these examples of types and shadows. Like when they're carrying the Ark of the Covenant and they trip and the Ark's about to bend over and some guy touches it. Well, the guy that touched it wasn't a holy priest. He wasn't sanctified. He wasn't allowed to touch it. And it killed him, you know. Um, Moses in the mountain. The People died because they got too close to the the presence of God and they weren't clean enough to do that. God did not kill them. God's goodness and his um, holiness, sin, there you you can't stick something that's dark in the sun. Instantly it's going to be obliterated. Either it's part of it or it's it's instantly dissolved before you even get close to it. It instantly zaps you. So there's no way that God could live in you if you were not made clean and new and whole on the inside. So when you got spiritually, when you got born again, all things became new. Nothing is like it was before. And the enemy wants you to think it is, though. He wants you to think, well, you got born again, but then you cussed somebody out on the freeway on Monday morning going to work. You're not even saved. I don't think it worked. That is the enemy talking to your mind, which is in your soul. And if you listen to that, if you don't realize the battle in your mind for your soul that's going on, you'll be tempted to say, oh, my gosh, that's so right. I I guess it didn't work. I guess I didn't get saved. Because here I am, I'm still this horrible person. I still have these addictions. I still have these bad thoughts. I still say the wrong things. I still have a messed up life. And and the enemy will convince you that somehow it didn't work on you. And it doesn't help that you've got 50 million Christians running around you all acting like they got it all together and you're just some loser. And, and none of us are being honest with each other and helping each other because we're all tied up in self-righteousness, which is more dangerous than unrighteousness so you're going to have to figure out you are born again you did not lose your salvation because you threw a fit or because somebody did something there because some trigger was pulled in your life you know i i teach at a school we i minister to kids all the time trying to help them figure out how to save their souls and i give the illustration a lot of times that you know if a fish is out there in the water and you want to catch that fish Well, a wise fisherman gets a hook, and they don't put an eraser on it. They put a worm on it. They don't, don't, you know, put a plastic bottle on it. They put a minnow on it. The the wise fisherman's going to put something on this hook that the fish is going to want. And when the fish eats whatever it is on the hook, you know, whoever's fishing for you is going to start reeling you in. Well, when you were in the world... The enemy spent a lot of time giving you a lot of things that catered to your flesh and has a lot of hooks maybe connected to you. And so once you got born again and you're trying to live this thing and you're trying to serve God and you want to have a relationship with God and you want the promises, you heard that preacher and you believed it and it sounded great and you want that life. And then all of a sudden you're out there trying to do it, but every five minutes you're getting yanked up somewhere else. Listen, run to God. Tell him. Own up to it. He already knows. 
He already knows every single thing that you might have done wrong. He already knows every single thought that you're having that you're ashamed of. He already knows. So go ahead and talk to him about it. He is your ever-present help in time of need. And this is just the beginning. This is the beginning of a pathway where you're going to walk out the salvation to the saving of your soul. You are going to save your soul and you are going to get yourself in a position where what you believe and what you think and what you are is exactly what God wants you to be. And when you believe that and you're lining up your soul with your spirit, your flesh will not have a chance. The enemy will not have a chance. The deceptions of this life, all the evil that's going on in the world around you won't be able to drag you off course and you will be successful. It is a process. Like I said, when you got born again, you're born again. Brand new babe. Can we give God a few years here to get through the toddler stage, to get potty trained, to figure out how to walk, you know, to figure out how to eat with some silverware? Can you give a few years to God dedicated to figuring out how to save your soul? Get on that path where you're eating the Word of God. You're drinking the Word of God. You're, you know, it's, it's your milk. It's your meat. It's your sustenance. It's what you need so that you can learn and grow. The church is going to have to grow up. God wants us to be mature. Not perfect. Mature. We're never going to be perfect. We're always going to be relying on the grace of the Father and the blood of Jesus Christ to redeem us from from decisions that our flesh talks us into and all kinds of temptations and things that we're going to deal with, iniquities and things that were passed down to us from generations. We're going to have some stuff to deal with. But I'm telling you what, the result is a successful life, a whole life, a sane mind, blessed, prosperous, healthy, good relationships, strong, unmovable, master of your domain. That is the will of God for you. You can have it. He wants you to have it. And and the Lord has instructed me to to do these. So I'm going to be doing this a couple of times a week. We're going to we're going to do some podcasts and I'm going to start teaching this because man, this is God's will for your life. You're born again, yes, and you're going to heaven, great. But, you know, the Bible says, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You should not experience a lifestyle change when you leave this earth and go to heaven. God wants you to possess your realm now. You know, there's actually a verse in the Bible that Jesus prayed, Father, do not take them out of the world. Do not take them out of the world. It is not the will of the Lord Jesus Christ that we all just get to heaven. It is the will of Jesus Christ that we stay here and make this earth heaven right here. Create our world to be a garden of Eden. Praise God. Listen, I'm so excited that you joined me today, and I'm really blessed to get to spend some time with you. Um, You can check me out on Facebook and YouTube and Instagram and Pinterest and Twitter and everywhere. And I just want to help keep you encouraged and, and share what I know that can maybe help you become everything that God created you to be. Um, God bless you, and we will talk again real soon. Bye.